I'm really excited to share this discussion that I had with Ryan. He's someone that I met in the Street Spouse Network, which is now called Our Path. And it's a online forum uh, for people in my position of being married to someone who was a closeted gay or sometimes trans person. And Ryan really does a lot of uh, really meaningful work to interact with people in that situation, but he comes at it from the point of view of being the closeted gay husband um, when he was married for many, many years. And so he's going to share about that. And it's really valuable to have insight from someone who has uh, walked this journey, but on the other side of it from me and the other people in this forum. And uh, I had talked to him, you'll hear us refer to talking together because we would talk not only in the forum, but um, we had a call. Uh, it was over a year ago, I want to say a year and a half, year and three quarters ago. It was a long time ago now when I was just at the beginning stages of reaching the separation point and trying to navigate all of this. He, he gave me really valuable advice and understanding so I hope that you enjoy listening to this. So thank you, Ryan, for talking to me. Um, I've been really eager to talk to you because you have insights that are different than what I would see in my place. And I'm still newly coming out of all of this and I'm still processing things. So it's really helpful to get your opinion um, just as I try to make sense of what happened and make sense of the cultural the cultural views around not only gay pride and gay rights and you know that whole topic when it comes to fallout like this I don't know exactly what label to put on it but like you know the casualties of our society when it comes to people hiding their orientation and taking other people into the lie and and so I don't know if you want to like introduce yourself. Yeah, sure. I'm Ryan. I'm a, a gay ex-husband. I was married to dating or married. I was with my now ex-wife for 25 years. Uh, I came out to her in May of 2012. We then divorced in September of 2015. And I'm an active participant and contributor and maybe to a certain degree confidant on our past message board and so a lot of straight spouses reach out to me in various stages of where they are in their relationships whether they're trying to make a mixed orientation marriage work which we all do at the beginning <laughs> and uh or or divorced um separated or divorced like yourself mm -hmm. and the last conversation we had uh, if I hope you don't mind me mentioning that. No. We discussed, uh, we had a conversation and you were in what I call best divorce ever stage, which <laughs> is, um, it's that idea that the abusive or narcissistic husbands, and not all of them are, but uh, the closeted narcissistic or abusive husband uh, and his future ex-wife or they're trying to do the best friends thing and yeah. um i remember you and i disagreeing on a lot of things and, <laughs> and uh 
which is fine because I think it's part of the the denial that I went through with my ex-wife as well, which was yeah. we can make this work. And, you know, I'm not listening to any professionals and we're in love still, but we're going to be loving friends and best friends. And ultimately in the situation that you and I have been through, but on different sides is uh-huh. the, the marriage has to end and the relationship has to fully end in order for people like me to come fully out and accept our sexuality rather than bargaining it away by keeping in touch with loving um, ex-partners. And I think from your standpoint, it's necessary for that break to fully acknowledge, in some cases, the trauma and the abuse that you were subjected to, and also to give your chance, your kids a chance to heal as well. Uh, yeah. And I think that's, I think, I think we've come to the same conclusion, but on different sides of our relationships, if you don't mind me saying that. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's funny to think back. I should actually listen to the recording of our last conversation because um, I remember, yeah, I, I kept saying things to you with the thought going through my head. I forget how much I articulated it, but just pushing back saying like, or thinking, well, I know that's normally how it goes. I know normally it gets really messy and the yes. abusive husband, you know, just makes a mess and he's still abusive. He still lies. But in my mind, and I know that I'm not alone in this as a straight spouse, in my mind, it made sense that, oh, the whole marriage, it was so abusive and horrible because he was hiding that he was gay and he can't be married to me. Now that that's out in the open, then why would he ever lie? Why would he ever hurt me again right why would he ever manipulate the kids or hurt them it just to me I think that was the naivety that I was in um because now it's played out where I think the only yeah it didn't hold up right like he has continued to be perhaps even more abusive in many ways it's just that the physical part is gone and he can't be there for everything that happens in life but when he calls when he goes to family court and lies about his income and lies about all different things and tells the judge he's visiting when he's not stuff like that. I'm just like, why am I surprised? He's still, as you would say, he's still radioactive with all this deception. He hasn't become a truthful person again. Um, yeah. Yeah. The honest honesty is a muscle. And, um, and I often, I think, when we chatted, I said, well, where would you rate him on the honesty scale? Oh, and it's usually yeah. like zero being pathologically dishonest and 10 being Jesus-like honesty, even though <laughs> Jesus did lie to his parents once. Um, <laughs> and um, and usually a loving future ex-wife wants to put him at a sort of seven or an eight. And I said, well, let's rate him based on how honest he is with his sexuality. Uh-huh. and didn't he lie to you didn't he cheat on you didn't he all of this is he denying it to himself and so I think the yeah. conversation that we had is it's not just because as much as there's that hope is that oh he finally identified this problem and yeah. we're going to lovingly work through this together and there's a reset and now he's honest that's not how it works it takes these yeah. men myself included, sometimes years, if not decades, to fully come out and accept their sexuality. And some of them never do, especially those that were raised in evangelical or Christian uh, communities, unfortunately. Right. I mean, for mine, it's interesting. He 
because of the religious part of it, he can spin it to our kids. And I'm assuming to the one friend that he still talks to that I know of, like whoever else too, that he will never have a relationship. He still thinks he's going to go to hell for being gay. Um, you know, he's still in that part of the, the pain, the conversion therapy, you know, effects, even though he, he did admit it to me. And yet living in one of the gayest cities in North America. So there's, there's often that contrast. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, so that's where it's hard because I think what I do in everything, I try to make sense of it. And then it's one of the, this is a situation where it doesn't make sense. So he's saying those things and then he's living in a very gay city and he's going to pride events and he's partying and he's going to bars all the time according to my kids so that's I guess I should say that's alleged (laughs) he hasn't told me specifically but our teenagers know because they tell me all the time about this stuff and so every time they talk about it I think oh this is what Ryan calls the gay adolescence when they get out of the marriage right like they go full, you know, diving deep into the gay yes. adolescent season, and that's him. Mm-hmm. The common arc is, uh, and I went through this as well, is um, you've been through, I think, therapy as has have your kids. Yeah. Uh, trauma, usually, uh, usually um, when someone decides to deal with that trauma, they usually revert back to the age or an emotional state where they experience that trauma and usually for um gay people like myself it's usually around puberty and so Mm -hmm. when i started actively denying who i was and really um denying both myself and others that i was gay so i never went through puberty which would have been sort Mm -hmm. of between 12 and 15 depending on the person so when a lot of men come out author dan savage who's a very famous um Uh, sex columnist and podcaster uh dan savage says i think i'm paraphrasing i think he says no matter what the age of the man when he comes out he all we all revert to being 13 years old (laughs) and so it's sort of having that 13 kid in the candy store mentality about especially when it comes to sex is um overindulging in sex uh falling head over heels in love with whomever and not being able to distinguish between sexual attraction and emotional attraction. And mm-hmm. so, and that usually leads to sort of a pride-like, teen-like, regardless of the man's age, um, coming out. And it sounds like that's what your kids are witnessing. Is it because your your ex-husband is sharing all of this on social media or is he sharing this with your teenage kids? Oh, he hides it. And <laughs> he doesn't really have social media that I know of still. Maybe he does, but like, yeah, he hides it, but then he tells them, like, very openly. And he tells them that they're too repressed. And he wishes that I would let them be liberated to, like, party and do all these, what he calls normal teenage things, because he was so repressed by religion. Right. And it's like, I don't know, that's, to me, that's like a 13 or 15 year old trying to be a good parent. Like, yeah, there's something to say for not yeah. being repressed, obviously. But a good parent doesn't tell kids who are 14, 15, and 17, hey, you should be partying. Or like, your mom is so controlling. It's abusive of her to not let you just go sleep over with whomever and, you know, drink and all that stuff. That's what kids are supposed to do at your age. So then, like, imagine. How old is your ex-husband? 
he's 43. Yeah, he, he's, you know, I say that everyone, I've often said everyone like me included, we think we're all unique, but we ultimately <laughs> accept that we're statistics. There is this uh, gay adolescence. The mistake that I think that a lot of loving um, separated or ex-wives go through is they think of their husband as a 40 something man. Yeah. And it's very hard and lovingly. And they mm -hmm. want him to be that responsible father that he pretended to be or that he's capable of being. But when a man mm -hmm. is going through gay adolescence, and particularly if he's still denying it on some level, that's impossible. So you, yeah. you should buckle up. If he, <laughs> if he goes through the statistics of this, you're probably in for about three to five years of, like adolescence, mm -hmm. before it calms down. And then, then he'll meet someone who he thinks is the one. Statistically, that won't be the one. Again, Dan Savage <laughs> says, our first gay love is never our last. And <laughs> then you'll see a lot of Facebook or Instagram posts of, and a very showy wedding or relationship or whatever, because this is the one. Uh -huh. And then two to three years later, that relationship will fail spectacularly, usually. <laughs> And yeah. then maybe he'll go through a second adolescence and then maybe eventually find um, someone in his late 40s, or early 50s, a more stable relationship once he's come to terms with who he is. Mm, that totally makes sense. And I 100% believe you this time. <laughs> I think I would love to get your thoughts on one thing that played out along the way in the last year. He officially moved out. So then and then he moved far away seven or eight months ago now across the country. But within that, it was when he was still living here, I met someone and I had never dated, right? Like I had an arranged marriage because of purity culture in the church. Like it was safer and holy to let the church arrange your marriage and all that. So I, remember, yeah, I do remember the yeah. story. So I, because I never dated and because I never got to choose the type of person I was with, it really was wonderful for me when something came about and it only lasted like um, seven months, but it was really healthy and wonderful for me it was so healing to just have my first dating relationship right and I was taking things slow mm -hmm. and I was trying to you know especially as a mom with full custody um balancing that and going out but then I told the teenagers kind of early on and then the little kids too I told them like hey I'm you know this kind of came up I never expected it already but I'm gonna see where this leads because um it seems like it's safe and and good and all that and so anyway, the kids were on board for a few weeks, I want to say, maybe it was only two weeks until their dad heard about it from them, which, you know, it's fine in itself that they told him I wasn't hiding it. He started saying to them, oh, your mom, she will never pick someone good. She's going to pick an abuser. It was like he could take the fact that he was acknowledging that he was abusive and that there was domestic violence going on he somehow in this crazy way that I can't understand he weaponized what he did to make them so afraid not just of the guy I was dating then but for how careful and healthy and all that that I was he just he weaponized every minute of it so then they would call him and they would say like oh he you know, this guy, he does this for a living. And then that became this big thing for my ex to ridicule and to say, oh, she should never date anyone in that line of business. This is horrible. That shows he's an abuser. Like things that are just legitimately 
crazy and have no reasoning to them, right? He Sounds just, like a lot of uh, projection. Yeah. And so then the kids would say things to me like, you're not being smart. You'll never see any red flags because dad says you didn't see red flags with him. And so you won't now. And I would say to them, well, I've been in the 12 step for a couple of years now, you know, like I've been in therapy. I've actually really worked on things and I can securely attach, but like, then they would even say the real you're in, um, for me. You're in CODA? Well, it's like CODA, but it's adult children of alcoholics. Um, oh, very, yeah. okay. very similar know. to CODA. Yeah. So it's mm. like, I'm getting the support. I'm changing. He's not. But then they would say things to me like, whenever he dates someone, I can't wait to meet that person. He's going to he's gonna finally be in love and he'll finally, the kids, they still say that they're afraid of me dating anyone because I'll only pick an abuser. It's just, it's heartbreaking. So like, I'm wondering, have you seen that like in the straight spouse network or anywhere? Like, do you think that it's common for even though the gay ex he doesn't want to be with you. I mean, even just the orientation doesn't match up, right? It's not like he's trying to win me back. I guess that was the thing I would say to my friend, my friend, like, he's not pining away for me. He never liked me. He never loved me. He used me as a cover. Why is he trying to sabotage things? Because I would understand this if he was in love in some way, and I broke things off. Right. But then I started as it played out, I was like, this must be a common pattern because of that radioactive, how truthful, how authentic is he kind of a thing that, that you had said to me, like, he, if he's still radioactive with like, being abusive, being manipulative, being deceptive, um, it'll just play out in everything. I think good people tend to think um, everyone else is like them. You know, the, the story of the the scorpion and the rat and the rat mm. offers to take the scorpion across the river and but don't sting me and then just <laughs> as the rat takes the scorpion to the other side of the river the scorpion of course stings the rat and the rat as the rat is dying says why did you sting me because i'm a scorpion That's it. I, i'm not a i'm not a mental health professional it sounds like <laughs> your ex-husband yeah. is a very disturbed person and I'm and probably somewhere along the personality disorder spectrum. Yeah. And through this, the projection and the and the sabotaging uh, and trying to turn the kids against you, these are very common tactics among people, regardless of their sexuality, of people who have very severe personality disorders. Mm. Um, so what now? Any interaction that your kids have with him, uh, he's going to try to turn them against you because ultimately I'm not in his head, but he may <laughs> consider you the enemy because yeah. as someone who self-hates for so long, that self-hatred, it's much easier to project that and to put that venom or to sting others using the scorpion idea than to self-reflect, self-evaluate, heal, apologize. You've done 12 mm -hmm. step, make amends. People who are more enlightened can say, look, I'm really sorry that I did this to you. It was always me. I was the problem. It took me years to get there. My relationship was toxic with my ex-wife. And I apologized to her profusely. But it took me a long time to get there. 
And yeah. it doesn't sound like where he is in his adolescence that he, he again, he's 13, 14 in his mind. He doesn't have, <laughs> from what I understand, and I've never met him, yeah. but it sounds like he doesn't have the emotional maturity. You have to stop thinking of him as, I don't know if one of your kids is 12 or 13. I have um, a 14 year old, yeah. Yeah, so you can't ask you can't ask of him what you wouldn't ask of that fourteen year old, and it sounds like he's completely incapable of being a father. It sounds like he's completely incapable of being civil to you. Yeah, um, maybe there was some degree of jealousy that you moved on so quickly, and it sounds like he mm-hmm. he did the classic thing, which is he tried to sabotage your relationship indirectly by doing it through your kids. Yeah, and so in that situation. Um, it's it's very hard especially because your kids have probably started they do love their dad or they've been programmed to think that they have to love their dad um but mm-hmm. as i always say we can love people but we can still condemn their behavior and that's true and so i, I think maybe whoever their therapists are that's a conversation you should have with them any contact yeah. and any conversations that your ex-husband has with them um he's going to do two things he's going to try to paint himself as the victim and he's yeah. going to try to paint you as the 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 wicked witch. Yeah. <laughs> so that's just the script that he's working from. That's a hundred percent true. Yeah. And he even when he was still living here, he even told me multiple times around when he moved out and after that he would call me the enemy and he would tell me that I was the one who abused him and that he was only reacting. Or he would say he said the phrase more than once to me since moving out um you trapped me into this marriage and then I know he said it more often to the kids the teenagers because they would come out of a phone call and they would say things like um he says that you trapped him into getting married you were the one making him not be authentic you know you were the one that didn't let him be who he really is be a gay person and I would say to them like because they're teenagers I would say straight out every time like, think about what you're saying and what he's accusing me of. Like, he told me he's straight. He put himself in that situation. It's not like he said, hey, you have to let me be a gay person married to you. <laughs> but so well, much- it sounds like they're, yeah, it sounds like I don't have a, a complete recollection of what we discussed but I do remember the broad strokes if I remember correctly mm-hmm. um the typical scenario is that the the straight spouse the the entirety of the relationship is the scapegoat usually yeah. and I'll use women in, in this example because that's my experience and it's the majority of people that I interact with she usually displays a lot of codependent tendencies meaning that uh, thinking through love that she can fix this incredibly broken person and toxic person. And that often, uh, and that often results in her getting scapegoated for the majority of the problems in the relationship. First it comes sexually is that um, he makes her feel like she's inadequate sexually because of her appearance, gaining weight. Uh, She's too aggressive. She's not aggressive enough. And for whatever reason, um, these people fit together because it's it's just a, a broken relationship. And so, and then that can continue. And it sounds like it's what you're sharing now. The script that your children, especially your eldest children were raised with was that he made you, he described you whether indirectly and probably in front of them as the cause of all of his problems rather than owning up and saying, 
I'm the cause of everything. I made the mistake. Uh, and so uh, while I'm, I haven't met your family, it sounds like they're scapegoating you because they're following dad's example. And I'm not surprised that it's the eldest kids because they've had the most exposure to him. Whereas I think your younger children would very naturally have a more protective feeling towards you because they have less deprogramming to do. And so um, buckle up because your kids do love you. Maybe help your kids set boundaries is like, um in conversations with them and say how do you feel when you talk to dad do you feel better if you feel, you feel worse mm. um, that's an interaction you have with i'm not in the middle of that conversation um yeah. why don't we try this the next time that you talk to dad is is he can't talk about me he just has to talk about himself and our relationship and little things like that i think maybe working through with a professional, you have to equip your kids without labeling their father as someone who has a very severe, it sounds like personality disorder. And yeah. so logic just doesn't stand. And so what he's naturally doing is he's manipulating your kids to absolve himself of any wrongdoing because his ego can't take it. And again, I haven't met with him. And so this is really <laughs> just a layman's opinion. It's very and valuable. I appreciate it. But it may or may not be wrong, and I would urge you or anybody who's listening to this to consult with a mental health professional. Um, but but if every a, a feeling that kids can understand is when you come away from just take my take mom out of this conversation. When you finish speaking with dad, do you feel better or do you feel worse? Yeah, and well, actually, those that suggestion that you have that's exactly what my therapist said to start bringing awareness of that dynamic to them. Yes. Of course, they dismiss it, you know, they minimize or explain it or whatever, make excuses. But at, at least there's a little, the, the door is open to awareness, if that makes sense. And I know it's a, like you said, buckle up, like it's not an instant thing. It's going to take time, you know, for the older ones. Um, yeah, they have a lot of healing. This is the way that through your relationship, um, rightly or wrongly, this is the way that they define uh, marriage. And mm -hmm. so... That's why so many people who are in abusive households end up being with abusive people or alcoholics or whatever yeah. the the disorder is, because that's how we define love. What I had to do with my kids was I had to say, look, when I went through my adolescence, I abandoned you. No, dad, you were. And I was like, no, 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 I abandoned you. <laughs> and that was wrong. And that was wrong. And I apologize. And I would let my kids tell me what a horrible dad I was after the divorce for years because they had to. Yeah. And, and I didn't try to fight back nor deny that reality. And I said, that's not right. That's not love. And I'm here now and I'm, I'm doing things differently. And that's so with, with their dad, their dad expressed his quote unquote love by moving halfway across the country. <laughs> and so um yeah i mean it, going through teen years is hard enough without having a gay dad and divorced parents it's compounded i've been there <laughs> and so there's a lot of anger that they probably had to keep down for fear of not splitting you two and maybe they knew a lot more was going on especially if you have a teen daughter mm -hmm. women tend to be more um emotionally aware than boys girls tend to be more emotionally aware with boys and there tends to be a, a deeper bond with fathers as well yeah, and so, and the betrayal and the anger that she feels, she, you know, if you have a teen daughter, then she, any teen kids, who do they take it out on? It's the parent that they live with. Yeah. And so for fear of, they can't do that to their dad because 
they do fear on some level, or he's made them fear that that relationship could end if he, if they don't do what he wants, because that's the environment they were raised in. And that's the example they got from their parents' relationship, perhaps that may or may not apply to your situation. No, that totally does. And yeah, two of the three teenagers are girls. Um, yeah, that's very, yeah, so very there's helpful. A, there's a high likelihood that they saw chat messages or his grinder profile or pictures or a web history. And then from once they were um, technologically aware, usually around 11 or 12, mm -hmm. they start seeing things that they have to hide. And then the cycle repeats because dad is then um, teaching them to live in denial as he has. And that's hard to overcome. Yeah. Well, and that goes with something I wanted you to explain, because I remember you talking with me before about, um, or in the podcast, I think, on Straight Spouse, that it's like um, a concert pianist. Mm -hmm. um, can you explain it that way? Because that was one of the most helpful things when I was just very first trying to figure out how to navigate this situation. I heard you say that. Yeah, I, I think I was um, talking about manipulation, and um, I said that it that the the I think if I remember correctly is that I said it's like um, someone who's just learning chopsticks on the piano going up against a concert level pianist. This being the the husband, uh -huh. because as far as disclosing his sexuality and hiding his sexuality. I don't really care what evangelicals say. A lot of people who haven't been through this have, especially people in religious circles, have a lot of opinions about gay people. Uh, if you want to know how gay people experience their coming out, ask a gay person. Uh, I don't know anyone who's fully aware of their sexuality who didn't have an awakening as far as their attraction to the same sex at the same time that straight people do between age four and six. Um, and then, uh, and that unfortunately is the age that I started feeling different and also being aware that I had to hide it. And I, I strongly believe that this is why so many people who are gay, particularly gay men, become such showmen because they we're trying to dazzle people uh, and distract them from this big secret that we have is that I have to be the best student, actor, singer, dancer, whatever. And so unfortunately on a manipulation scale, um, this person is just gonna outplay you on stage because you're starting lesson one as far as dealing with the honesty of your spouse is coming out and he or she, because women can be this way as well if they've been hiding their sexuality, they know how to manipulate, distract, blame shift, because I've been doing it for, I came out at age 40. And so I've been doing it for almost 30 plus years. And yeah. so I was just better at it. <laughs> and so um, this is where I think, and on a more practical level, I don't think that a straight spouse can play an active role nor any sort of productive role in her husband's coming out. He has to do that without her there. Because then what he's doing typically is he's going back into the role of minimizing it. Whether he's saying that he's bisexual or that he comes up with a trauma narrative, which is feeds into conversion therapy or the evangelical narrative, which is that I'm gay because of this. It's usually a legal behavior. Um, not unlike what he's doing now. He's not just saying, look, the relationship ended because I was a shitty husband to your mom because I'm gay. That's the reality. He's blaming it on you, whereas... You know, maybe you made your mistakes, but most of the issues that came about in these gay straight relationships come from the gay husband lying to his wife. 
that's the reason the relationship ends and he can sugarcoat it and manipulate it and switch it around and blame shift as much as he wants but because that's the script that a lot of us have to live with we have to distract from the truth of our situation is that we were just genetically born differently with an attraction to the same sex just like straight people no one ever chooses to be straight and i love debating this with straight people particularly those of a religious slant i'm like well when did you choose to be straight it's the easiest way to debunk it well i never chose i'm like it's the exact same for people who are from our community no one chose to be trans gay bisexual demisexual pansexual nobody chose that it's just who we are no, it's so true. Yeah, that's great. And the thing that I love about that concert pianist versus, um, you know, someone just learning chopsticks analogy yes. is that it takes, it, it helps me. It helped me a couple of years ago when I first heard it. And even more so now with what I've seen play out, it helps me to not get stuck in the place of blaming myself, you know, saying, oh, I should have seen, because that's what people around me usually do, whether they mean to or not, even if they're, yeah, bad, you didn't know, they say, oh, I knew, I, I thought so, but you seemed, I figured you knew, or if they didn't know us back then, they'll say things like, well, of course he was hurtful. It was his pain. He had to hide. It was society making him hide. And they give all these excuses. But like, yep. I think about our, our actual daily life, especially early on. It's like, no, I see now how he inoculated me, like crying at first about um, he had same sex thoughts, which were labeled in our culture as demons putting the thoughts in and he didn't want them. So then it inoculated me to see his pain about them. I never thought he would be gay, you know, like fully gay and things, but even things about, you know, not, not having to do with love or romance, just, you know, blaming me if the car broke down and showing that it was my fault you know if he did something physically to hurt me in behind closed doors and then a half hour later he comes near me in front of the kids where i'm washing dishes if my whole body would tense up and i would get really kind of weird if he came over and put his hand on my shoulder he would say to the kids you know spin it somehow of like oh i'm trying to be loving to your mom and she's so um she's so weird she doesn't let me love her you know that was one of the major narratives to so your ex-husband was publicly. physically abusive with you yeah uh, okay that I didn't know it's not something you shared in our last conversation it's funny going to the 12 step it opened my eyes when I worked the steps and I had to do harms inventories and like inventories to bring you uh to name the different wrongs done to you yes that's where I figured it out because they had lists um of you know, the types of physical abuse. And it was like, oh, like I've talked on this podcast before. I didn't realize it was abuse if it didn't leave marks, but he would sometimes, his primary thing was he would squeeze his his fingernails into my arm or leg, like so, so hard that I would have tears come out a little bit. And, I, and then oh. I would give in to what he wanted. It never left a mark. I never bled. I didn't have bruises. He never slapped me or punched me right? He didn't push me into a wall, but he could do things like start to trip me, you know, and I never fell down and got bruises or whatever from being tripped, but he would trip me in a way where I would land safely, if that makes sense. Like he would do that a lot. And then it was like, I think when he, it was his desperate attempt, if I was really coming on to like, he is clearly in the wrong and he's been deceitful or 
abusive in some other way, like emotionally, he would go to these physical tactics a lot of the time. And it started before we even got married, like about two weeks after we had the arranged marriage go through, he, he just started pulling these physical things that it was such a relief to name, you know, then after he's out of the house to realize that's why I would fall apart so bad. That's why it was so just soul crushing for me. Um, that's why I was so scared around him because this is physical abuse, you know, but it, it just, I would talk to people at church, even I would give the examples and they would always say, men are more physical than girls. Like men, they don't know their men are just rougher. You have to put up with it, you know? And then they would use the criteria of, do you have bruises? Is he stabbing you? Like, oh no. So then I would feel like I'm just, as they would say, I'm oversensitive. Like you have to stop being oversensitive. It must be something that you're, you're frustrating him or criticizing him too much. And that's the only reason he would do this. So it was just a big mess, a long way. Yeah, it sounds like, it sounds like your faith wrongly groomed you and perhaps other women into yeah. thinking that they were submissive to these husbands and they had to submit also to emotional and physical abuse. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I'm, but I'm not surprised not in a non-judgmental way is that um, you weren't aware of that and couldn't share that with me because on some level, maybe you knew that it was wrong. And yet um, if you were raised in a community or a religion that then makes you the scapegoat for all of these issues, then there's a, yeah, it can be confusing. And so I'm so sorry that you and your kids had to witness that, particularly you, it's, it's barbaric. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And he was, he definitely did physical things to the kids too, which my older two, without me ever saying that they've, I think my oldest three, they've all said things, you know, privately like, well, dad physically abused us, but it was never enough to like leave a bruise or whatever. Like, yeah, he would push them into the wall or do things. But, um, so we're all healing. We're all naming it. We all have therapy, which is good one of the things that set me free as I processed this was just the feeling of, I couldn't have known what was going on, you know, like as far as him, like he was setting things up in ways because he had that big picture. He knew what was going on. He knew I was being tricked. So he could set things up in a way that, that I was just kind of being, I feel like yanked around. Like, it feels like my marriage was like, he put this blindfold on me and then he led me to this place with like daggers or sharp things sticking out. And he's like calling to me like, oh, just come over here. You'll be safe. And then I get stuck with another dagger. And he's like, oh, why are you doing that? You're, you're not coming where I called you. I remember when I was journaling and during the 12 step work, that's how I came to picture it. Like I, writing I, it down, I writing it down can be very cathartic because yeah. the once the words are on the paper, then there's no denying it in some cases. Yeah. yeah so helpful and I've done so much to process and heal um but yeah our culture definitely has I mean not all around but like the more enlightened more mainstream people they feel bad um you know straight people feel bad for anyone who's LGBTQ and is oppressed or feels judged and so it's like oh that's great that you know, people want to make room and be inclusive and understand and all that, like in itself, that's wonderful. 
But then for me as a straight spouse, what I keep encountering, like I said, is those people who say, oh, but don't you feel so bad for him? He, of course, the abuse was just spilling out of him because he was in so much pain. Now you can be good friends. And it's like, oh my gosh, like the average person, they have no idea what they're talking about when they try to minimize or explain or, And I should stress that what we're talking about, either my behavior or your ex-husband's behavior, we're really talking about the tip of the iceberg. The majority Mm -hmm. of men who, or women who hide there, not all of them are, suffer from personality disorders, nor are abusive. There are people who do uh, separate and divorce uh, on amicable terms and in a very friendly way and in a very loving and generous ways. And there are people who do remain friends following their split. What we've seen through our participation in our path are a very vocal minority of people who are with abusive spouses and dishonest spouses and who develop personality disorders. Had them either before those personality disorders were exacerbated from hiding uh, my sexuality using myself as an example. And so, and I'm among an even bigger minority of people who acknowledge that and work through it and apologize to my spouse. Um, it, it does not happen often. Uh, and I do still interact with men because I'm part of a group of men who were married to women. And uh, they, a lot of them do continue scapegoating their, their wives and thinking that whether demonizing her through the divorce or thinking that she's completely unreasonable for this, that, or the next thing. (laughs) And there's a huge disconnect because while we have the ability to process this almost at light speed, which it sounds like your ex-husband did moving to a gay part of the country and (laughs) participating in pride parades and so on and accepting his sexuality on some level, your healing begins from the minute that you hear, you catch us sleeping with men or saying I'm gay or I'm bi, that's when you're healing. Whereas we've been working towards this for decades, most of our lives. And so that's why there's this huge disconnect in healing because, and then quite often, whether it's gay or straight marriages, quite often she is left with the burden of raising the kids because that's just what our culture imposes on you, rightly or wrongly. And then we bolt and then we have this gay adolescence. And so your husband is following a very common script and something that I did as well. I didn't move. I moved to like another village, (laughs) but I I didn't move. I live in France, but I didn't move as far away. But it's something that happens with deeply, deeply religious men who were raised in evangelical communities. They leave Salt Lake City or they leave wherever they are in their community. And then they move to some of the gayest places in America to go through their slut phase. and and reject the way that they were raised and so unfortunately that often leads to abandoning kids and then unfortunately you're left with all the negatives which is a lot of child a lot of anger on the part of your kids who are abandoned and then unfortunately you become sometimes the target of that because he's not there right yeah it's it's, unfair um, it's very unfair it's and uh I don't know if your ex-wife would have felt like this or if it was similar in this way at all but for me it was such a relief when he said he was moving, you know, because it's like, yes, he is being very destructive. He's being actually more abusive in a lot of ways to the kids and I than he was when he lived with us. So 
It was mm. a welcome thing. You know, even when he was in town, he didn't want any custody. He wanted me to have full custody and he could just unrestricted visit if he wanted ever. And it wasn't that much. And so that was welcome. Like I've known people just, I'm in an online community with thousands of women who are coming out of just a general domestic violence or emotional abuse situation. And like yeah. most of the time their ex-husband wants you know 50% custody or even more and they're trying to fight it and they're like no he's abusive and whatever so like thank god I didn't have that but so the abandonment while it's morally just reprehensible right and it's damaging to the kids in one way it's actually so freeing and such a relief mm. that he's not and healing for like, the yeah. custody my son mm, that's a good point my son cut off contact with me when I was in the worst of my gay adolescence mm. and um it was probably a huge wake up call for me. And, and he, I know he felt guilty about that because that's not what kids, especially an adolescent is supposed to do. Yeah. Um, even my former in-laws were like, you have to keep in touch with your dad. And he was like, no, he said, no, he's toxic. And uh, I, I told him, I said to my son, you didn't have a choice. I didn't leave you with any other choice. You did the exact, you did exactly what you were supposed to do. Wow. And I said, but that's, I, and and I, I said, that's and what, all I can do now is improve the relationship because that's not who I am now, but I have to prove that to you through my actions, not through my words, but through my actions. And I agree with you. I think sometimes this break and him being on the other side of the country, and maybe on some level, he knows that as well. Mm. Is, is his family from Vermont as well? No, they live down south, not right where he is, but close. And has he come out to them? Yeah, actually, that was very brief. And I did feel bad for him when he told his dad and brother, because they're deeply homophobic, you know, evangelical. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like the relationship was just completely done, which he also, for other reasons, hadn't been close to them. They're just not very safe people anyway. But um, it was sad. Is that something you saw firsthand or was that his narrative about them? Um. It was something that I think he told the kids and I, he was still living here in the house when he told them and I saw how it hurt them. I wasn't there at the phone calls, but it made sense. No, my, my question is, did you see these interactions with his, your in-laws, with your, no. your ex-husband and his family? I didn't, that, but again, that's what they Again, if the, narrative, if, if the narrative is coming from him, you should probably <laughs> attach the same honesty scale. because any because what what we're good at is manufacturing we're we're good at playing victim and we're good at manufacturing empathy and so again see that through the honesty scale is if if he lied to you about you know if he's about batting about 20 percent honesty then 80 percent of this narrative about his family is likely false because it paints him as the victim and paints them as the aggressor it's not unlike how he's doing with you i think and so <laughs> he may, he probably isn't telling the truth about that. That's actually a really good point. I can't believe I didn't see it, but yeah, thank you. Cause yeah, when I look at it that way, like he has made amends in what he said and he visits them sometimes since now he lives in a closer place. And um, I thought, Oh, how, how nice that they were willing to come around. But yeah, when I think about that scale, like when you would ask me, uh, you know, how is he on the honesty scale? Yeah, the honesty scale. I think I gave you like 20%. He's maybe 20% honest at absolute best. 
like maybe lower. So, this, so I would say <laughs> this is this is my opinion, and I'm not a mental health professional. Uh, attach that same honesty scale. So 80% of what he's saying, where he's if he's following the same script about his family and painting himself as a victim, is probably bullshit. Yeah, it's yeah, that's true. For all you know, they probably bought him. They may have bought him a pride cake, and they love him. <laughs> And maybe he moved down there to be closer to them. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's so hard. This is why there's no logic. As you said, logic, it just has no place. Um, And also when the deception is going on, you just, you can't trust anything really. Um, Yeah, that's exactly. You know, Judge Judy, an icon of the gay community, she said, when when a teenager's mouth is going like this, they're lying. So um, (laughs) closeted ex-husbands, um, or semi-closeted ex-husbands, you can attach the same honesty scale to that. I wouldn't buy 100% into his version of this, unless you've seen that firsthand. No, that's true. And there's usually a nugget of truth, which is what he would do to me. You know, he puts that nugget in there so that it's not all a lie, and then you wonder, you know, it makes it more real. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm so impressed with you that even with a fallout with your son and you know, just everything that you went through with your family that you were able to heal and recognize and, um, you know, be able to reattach to your kids, it sounds like, in a really authentic way, because that's what they would have wanted. That's what kids want with any parent, you know, whether whatever kind of addiction or dysfunction is going on, they want that parent to heal and to work on their problems and be able to show up as a real adult parent in their life. And so it's really, really wonderful that you were able to do that with your kids. Well, I'm not a saint. I made a lot of these mistakes. I was never um, physically abusive with my ex-wife, but I was emotionally abusive with her. And I did post-divorce, scapegoat her. My mother actually called, I shared this on another podcast. My mother called me on this. And the rule was, um, is that I could never trash talk mom in front of the kids. I've never said anything negative about her, either directly or indirectly. And when my kids come to me and ask for advice about how to deal with their mom, I'm 100% Switzerland. I don't get involved. I don't express an opinion. Uh, I just ask them, like good therapists do, is, well, how does that make you feel? And what do you think you should do? And I don't get involved because... That's just the best way to go forward. And I did have that conversation before I went full-blown mm. adolescent slut phase. I met with my in-laws. Uh, I don't know how I had the courage to do this <laughs> in France. And I had a lot of very difficult kitchen table conversations. I met with my ex-brother-in-law, my ex-sister-in-law, my ex-mother and father-in-law. And I said, tell me everything to my face now. Because none of this can be spoken when my kids are even in your presence. I say, get it all out now. Because um, it's not because they're at the back of the garden or they're in another room. I said, I need one promise from you, regardless of what you think about me, is that whenever you are in the same space as my children, you never say anything negative directly or indirectly about me. You can say it to my face now. And they let me have it. (laughs) They let me have it. And deservedly so. And, um, but ultimately everyone then goes through the phase of like, we're the best friends and we're going to have the best divorce ever (laughs) in, in big Hollywood style letters. And that doesn't work out. The best thing that can happen is what happened in my relationship is that, and ultimately I think this is what your husband is, your ex-husband has done a huge favor to you and your kids 
is that he is going through all of this uh, a thousand miles away. And mm-hmm. that's the best gift ever. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah, mine too. Yeah. Wow. I can't even imagine what those conversations would have been like, but that is courageous of you to say, let me have it. Like, you know, brace yourself and, um, and take- oh, but I'm not a hero. No. I, I had to have those conversations because I was such a jerk and I was so uh, abusive. I was terrible and I lied to them for decades. Yeah. And it shows uh, that even so at that point you had some awareness and a sense of responsibility or taking ownership, even if you were still dysfunctional and trying to sort everything out. So, yeah, but I made huge yeah. mistakes. Like I took my son lied to his mom and I took my son on like a gay ski trip. That was a huge mistake. <laughs> what else did yeah. I do? I told my kids just uh, offhandedly in a, a school lunch break. I used to go to my ex-wife's house because they went to school in her hometown. Uh-huh. And I offhandedly told them that I had a boyfriend and have a good day at school. Oh, and so okay. I, made, I made, made huge mistakes. Yeah. And, um, and so, but, and then, you know, my son was just over, a few hours ago uh, he had lunch with my boyfriend and me in the city he lives and works in the same city that we live in and uh, my daughter's in the same city university so I'm having lunch with her and so they know my partner and so as as one of the child psychologists told us uh, he said he said you've made your mistakes I understand but he said kids are resilient yeah said everybody thinks that newborns are these fragile things he's like you could you could dangle a newborn you've ever seen a, a doctor manipulate a newborn straight out of the womb um he said the kids are resilient and he said they're also emotionally resilient but what they deserve is honesty and accountability and so when a lot of straight spouses and i think this was the tone of the conversation that we had is um pattern the the relationship that you want your children to have and if your relationship is unacceptable then they need to know that. And you can tell them that it's unacceptable by not staying in it, nor justifying it, nor denying it and so on. It's hard though. Yeah. It's hard. No, that's very true though. Very true. Yeah. And it's, um, I, it's that hard reality that's going to heal my kids. You know, I can already see it happening in ways. Coming out of denial is very painful, whatever age you are, but I know that their brains are more plastic than mine, right? Kids, they have that malleable quality, plus the resilience, plus they want to connect with their parents, right? Like that's the subject of so many amazing movies and books, you know, the great stories. A lot of it is about someone with an abusive or addicted parent that wants to you know, see that parent show up and heal and all that. So I keep thinking, I don't know, regardless of what my ex does, because I can't control him, at least I'm being a safe place, you know, safe person for my kids. And um, there is- And you're there. You're yeah, there. I'm here. I'm doing everything for them, whether they like mm-hmm. it or not. And they might have that or they might not with their dad. I mean, my 14-year-old my a year ago, she started saying something that makes me laugh still when I, it was when I started dating the person that I was with, um, she said, Mm -hmm. you know, someday I know that you'll probably get married again because you're still young enough to get married and dad's probably going to get married or have someone he lives with or whatever long-term. And so someday I might have three dads, but mom, you will always be my only mom forever. (laughs) (laughs) That's nice. 
And it's true. It's like, yep, I get to be the only mom, whether she has two dads or three someday. <laughs> but I feel like I can, I don't know, hold my head up in a way that I couldn't when I was, you know, in the marriage or newly out of it because I am starting to process or not starting, I'm processing this and I'm looking at it with open eyes. And even though I'm still in the thick of it, I can at least kind of be a couple steps ahead of my kids in, you know, coming out of the denial, naming things that are dysfunctional, um, grieving. We've done a lot of grieving, um, <clears throat> you know, just processing things. Like even a bunch of times in the year and a half that I've been the parent living with them, they've said things, especially the teenagers, they've said, mom, I didn't know you could do that. You know, like the car headlight breaks and or burns out and I replace it, you know, I'll watch a YouTube video and it's fun now. Like the other day we had a, um, a problem in the house and I was like, oh, I think I could do that. I didn't tell them I watched like three YouTube videos about how to do it, but they saw me just like confidently walk over and fix this thing. And mm -hmm. And like times like that, I think I know that they're rejoicing like, oh, wow, mom seemed like this broken down person who ruins everything. Mm -hmm. But even if their dad can still manipulate things and scapegoat me, they do have that other side of it, too, where they're seeing me be capable and strong and smart. And, you know, I'm getting us out of that life and into another one. So it feels good. Well, yeah, it may feel challenging. But as I told my ex-wife is that... Um it's not win or lose but ultimately what is he giving them words and you're giving them love mm. action and and your presence you're there yeah and that eventually pierces through whatever you know they i don't know how long they're talking to their dad and so do they have any plans to see him or has he not He's... been able to get that together well they so the teenagers talk maybe once a week each Sometimes the younger two talk to him maybe like a couple times a month. And then mm -hmm. he's actually coming for the first time, um, coming back up here next week. Because when he was leaving the state, you know, without the kids there, I, I said to him a couple times, you are not going to leave them this way, telling them, I don't know when I'll see you. Because that's how he was doing it. He was telling them, even our, our kid who was six at the time. I don't know when I'll see you, you know, like just kind of washing his hands of them. And so I kept confronting him and saying, you are coming like for a holiday, for something, you're coming before the year ends. And I got him to agree to Christmas by saying, he kept saying he couldn't bear to be here Christmas with me here. And so I was like, well, I'm happy since I'm doing this all alone. I'll take a vacation anytime, you know, I'll go stay with a friend, I'll go see a college friend or someone, you know, who's like not right here. Like, I'm happy to do that. Would you come if I'm gone? And he grudgingly accepted and told the kids. And then it turned out that uh, next week, um, again, along the way, I kind of uh, pushed him and prodded him to come up when I'm gone for something for a weekend. Um, because the kids want to see him. And even though there's a youth, I think the visits themselves are safe enough. Um, I pushed it though, before he left and the abuse, the manipulation kind of stuff has escalated since he left his lifestyle has escalated. So I wouldn't have pushed like that if it was 
if I knew what I know now. <laughs> what do you mean by his lifestyle has escalated? I mean, just all the gay adolescents. Because when he was living here in our town, he wasn't going around. Like, I think he was going to bars and, or I know he was going to bars and hanging out with. Um, going with, to gay bars. I, I don't even know if it was gay bars. It was with an, an old coworker who's a woman who's straight, but like a coworker that was just kind of an immature person. A fruit um, fly. <laughs> is that it so like not as a date but more like she was like hey come out with my, me and my friend yeah the, yes girl that. yeah diva yes like yeah yeah and so he was doing that when he still lived here but the adolescent kind of stuff escalated when he finally that was why he left you know he told me he, he has to be in a different place because when he goes anywhere here he sees my family and people from our old church and people from the school system and like he couldn't fully be you know, out there partying. Yeah, his fabulous self. I understand. Yeah, Yeah, but anyway, we'll see how the visit goes. And um, Well, I think that you, if I understand what you're saying, is that you set some boundaries because you're not going to be there when he's Mm -hmm. there. Uh, Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. I would advise you to not even interact with him. Yeah. Um, You you don't have to. That's so, my plan. <laughs> That's what yeah, my absolutely. <laughs> let him, you know, let him own 100%. How long is he going to be taking care of the kids? Uh, I think it's three days next week. It's a weekend. And then at Christmas, we don't know yet the dates, but like probably four or five days. And uh, when was the last time that he saw the kids? About seven or eight months ago now. Okay, fine. Yeah. 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 So, of course, they're excited. And I'm kind of like, well, who knows what I'm in for when I get back, but we'll see. Be ready for the disappointment (laughs) because I don't, I think from our conversations, he wasn't really capable of minding the kids when you were together. He relied heavily on you. Yeah. A hundred percent on me. Okay. um, Yeah. It's, but then he can do the Disneyland thing where, you know, Disneyland dad, where he'll suddenly, you know, even during our marriage, if if he abused me and pushed me to a point where I was breaking down too much, he would suddenly, you know, spin it and be like, you guys, mom has like mental health problems going on or something. I don't know what's wrong with mom. She's so unstable, but I'll take you for a whole day to this fun place, you know, and and they'll come back and be like, he took us to restaurants. He took us to the movies. You know, so So (laughs) I'm sure he's going to do that. He's going to come in and, I'll hear how he's a better parent than me and whatever. I mean, I can. I'm <laughs> not, I'm not sure that, that well, you, you can come back and let me know how it goes. Um, <laughs> I, I think that I would, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't underestimate his ability to F this up. Uh, and I remember the classic <laughs> scenario of, of the, the closeted dad is he's more comfortable online, um, chatting, camming, watching gay porn, whatever, um, trying to escape then he is spending time with the kids and so um, yeah. let's hope that all goes well but the him. kids the kids will also have to deal with that disappointment because this is who he is and um, and but he'll have to do that on his own I think you're doing a very smart thing by not physically being in the same space as him that's such a good idea <laughs> thank you yeah it definitely feels good the thing the way I've thought of it lately is I need to stay steadfast and, you know, just strong and confident in who I am as the parent. And then I also can give him room 
to do whatever he's going to do so that instead of trying to control or, you know, the old ways of, oh, he he didn't mean that he was tired that day or trying to spin it negatively. Like, I don't need to do anything. A lot of women in your situation are cast as enablers through no fault of your own. Yeah. And, um, and so I know that that, what are you planning on doing? Are you going far away? Are you staying nearby? It's, it'd be difficult for you as well, I assume. I don't know if it'll be di- difficult in the reality, but I'm actually going, going to Vegas? far away. <laughs> no, I got a full scholarship to this conference for people coming out of evangelicalism, where a lot of the authors um, and artists that I like a lot, they do this conference every year that I've never been to. It's far away. But I'm fine. Good for you. That's amazing. I've never, as an evangelical submissive woman, I've never traveled alone. Like we never had money to travel, so I'm not really familiar with like flying or anything. I've gone oh, on good for you. trips when I was young, a yes. college trip. Like it's like a whole new liberating thing for me to go, and I'm going to stay in an Airbnb and have peace and quiet. Which you know, having full time care of five kids uh, for a year and a half really obviously full you know but always before that being the parent alone basically I mean this is like a dream come true for a weekend to just get away <laughs> right Be sleeping in for the first time in yep. 17 Doing, years yeah. having adult conversations that don't have like kids coming and like throwing things and crying at oh, me amazing are you going to be speaking at this event as well no, no, I'm going, but I, it was fun to, uh, actually, I got a scholarship because they said that this year they could give partial scholarships to people who were coming out of conversion therapy or just, you know, the general oppression of LGBTQ people in evangelical communities. And I kind of got fired up. Like, it's a fine thing, right? I'm all for that. But they phrased it in a way where I thought, there's so many of us that were harmed by that part of evangelicalism and yes. the straight, right? The straight spouses and how the church enables people being straight spouses who are abused and deceived, you know? And mm. so I wrote in that, I wrote some essay and I was, you know, mine was all about like how people told him to find a nice Christian girl, a really submissive, gentle one. And yes. people in the church told him, never tell him, tell her you know, the truth about this. And then they pushed me to give grace to him because, you know, he's so broken in other ways. And the whole then thing. only you can fix it. it. Yeah, yeah the, it's the that classic now, narrative. Yeah, excuse me. I interrupted Oh, sorry. You. The person who does the conference scholarship stuff, she wrote back very soon after I submitted it and said, we want to give you a full scholarship because we, like this really touched us and we never thought about this part of it we've heard about people who were who were gay you know or trans and married people but we've never thought of what it was like for the spouse and you and you are the invisible victims is what she called us and it just meant the world to me to have her see that you know and to raise the awareness Mm -hmm. yeah turning um yeah turning a toxic situation is something that's beautiful and perhaps you'll help other people heal that's amazing. Yeah. Good for you. Hopefully. Well, I want to be aware of your time. I'm so thankful that you could talk and share and uh, give me insight again. I really, really value um, being able to talk to you. Yeah. Did you have any final questions or something you wanted to discuss? <laughs> no. Um, 
But yeah, is there anything you want to put out there before we end? No, I think um, I think you're a totally kick-ass chick. <laughs> and I think it's amazing that you've done on the straight side what I think I've tried to do on the gay side, which is turning the terrible things that I did to my ex-wife and the things that you were subjected to into learning lessons and good examples for our kids. Yeah. And uh, I, I applaud you, I think. And I hope you, I think you should have a celebratory cocktail at this conference that you're going <laughs> to. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and enjoy the silence. <laughs> yeah. How old is your, how old your, your kid? I know you said your eldest is 17. How old is the youngest? Seven. Oh, seven is seven to 17. Wow, that's a range. I know. Yeah, the seven and 10 year olds, they still are little kids, you know. Uh, so it's the parenting for that is just full on <laughs> caretaking. <laughs> yeah, my youngest was six when his mom and I split. Mm -hmm. And um, he's the one who's most distant from me. Oh, yeah. And and I don't see that I don't see that in a painful way. I know that he had less to heal from because he spent less time with me. Mm -hmm. And but it's up to me to rebuild that relationship with him. I've rebuilt the relationship with his brother and sister who are now 21 and 19. Okay. And um I think because they're adults and um and with my youngest who's now 14, he he is still nervous and he's still and I just keep telling him, like, look, let's do this this weekend. And if you say no, that's no problem. You're not ready. And so we have a trip planned. We, we raised our kids in France. My ex-wife is French. Mm -hmm. And so fingers crossed, we have a trip planned. There's a traditional trip that I take with my kids, which is to New York. And then we go back to my native Canada after. And so he's going to go spend part of the summer in camp. So, But again, I told him, I said, you're in charge. Uh, if you want to do this trip, I'll plan it. And even up until the last second, if you're not comfortable, then no problem. We'll cancel it. You're oh, you're in charge. So, that's great. That's great. That's all I can do. Yeah. Well, and I think it it, it um it's just great to be able to raise the awareness, as you said, like the awareness for people in general. You know, wh whatever their life experience is, people don't realize what this is like, you know, or in the culture, it can just be kind of cartoonishly exaggerated in this crazy way, you know, on shows like The Office, where somebody has a, a secretly gay spouse or whatever, or the spouse comes out, it's like they can do it in all these ways, but the real life of it is very hard and messy and so it's just good. Well, I always say it's the yeah, I always say that the difference between screen existence and, you know, I'm a kid raised in the 70s and so I was raised latchkey with television mm -hmm. and um, every sitcom I saw made lying cute which was the wrong message <laughs> and and every cooking show was completely divorced from the reality of a destroyed kitchen <laughs> and like yep. a you know a burn this into that and so uh, it took me a long time <laughs> to deprogram for that and, and I think your husband is trying to follow a script um of what he has seen in the media of what a, a freshly out gay person should be but he the hardest thing that he'll do is he has to find himself and and he has to do that without standing on your you know trying to swim on your back or stand on your shoulders because it has nothing to do with you and yeah. but i think that it's given the situation that we've discussed is that i think it's i i, I was i remember heaving a huge sigh of relief he messaged me 
and you said my husband moved away and I think you posted about it I was like, oh, <laughs> I <did>. thank <laughs> god that he did that I know uh, I couldn't wait to tell on the forum like just oh my god he's gonna gonna be far away we're gonna have space to recover <laughs> yeah and, and I hope it goes well when is the when how, how many weeks out are you from him coming and staying it's one week actually till he comes it's a week from oh, okay it's it's not this weekend it's next weekend and actually ironically this saturday two days from now is our 20th anniversary which wow. he kept delaying our our divorce i didn't serve him papers like i would have if i realized how messy it would be i was in my yes. oh best divorce ever phase so i kept giving yeah. him chances he kept sabotaging making things late so actually you know, he's been out of the house for a long time, but we physically will be, or legally will be divorced um, a month after our 20th anniversary. We're waiting wow. for that 15 How's minute symbolic. online hearing, hearing, so. And do you mind if I ask you a few questions? Mm -hmm. uh, so have you found a, a, a physical improvement? Oh, yes. I mean, so even though I have long COVID and so I have like this chronic condition, it's just a million times easier to handle that because I had it before he left. It's a million times easier to to handle navigating chronic health things when he's not here to abuse me while I'm sick. Like I can just, my physical strength is better. My mental clarity is always better. Are you sleeping better as well? Yes. Oh my goodness. Um, so much better. <laughs> Like I didn't have insomnia or anything, but I had bad dreams always like such yes. bad nightmares for, for all the years from even before we got married, horrible, horrible. Yeah. Kristen Kelby from the, the interviewer from our path. She always says the body knows whether the mind is caught up or not, but the body knows and keeps score. Yep. That is so true. <laughs> it's good being on this side of things. Oh, great. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for talking. This was wonderful. Okay. Well, it was a pleasure chatting with you as well. And enjoy that scholarship conference. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I hope it's in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> no. You deserve it. <laughs> no, Minneapolis. But I've never been there, so it'll be fun. <laughs> well, beautiful city as well. It ain't Vegas, but, you know... <laughs> Sometimes being in a quiet room without kids can be a holiday. <laughs> I know. I'm going to bring a book and just enjoy it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, lovely chatting with you. Take care. Yeah, take care. Bye. Bye.